Zechariah is going to be fun, okay? This morning, we're only going to get through six verses, uh, but starting next week, we're going to be walking through eight different crazy visions uh, that God gives Zechariah and that he's proclaiming to the people, you are going to get a good education in, in Hebrew vision writing. Uh, it's wacky and crazy and full of life and full of imagery. Uh, and then we've got some time stamps uh, in here, some sign acts. Uh, and then we're going to end up with more prophecy. Uh, it's just going to be lots of fun. So put your seatbelts on. Let's read these first six verses. And I want to pray. And there, there's one more thing I want to say, but let's read the verses first. A call to return to the Lord. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Edo, saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways uh, and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so has he dealt with us. Let's pray real quickly one more time. Father, we need your word. Speak to your church. It is in Jesus' name. And every Christian said, amen. Real quick, let me say this before we dig into some context. Because in order to understand this book, this prophet, this word from the Lord, these visions, we're going to need a lot of context. So we're going to spend a lot of time doing that this morning. But I do want to say, because I've been so encouraged in the Lord lately. Uh, you know, last week I didn't uh, preach, praise God, for, you know, one, one week that I didn't have to do that. Um, but uh, we had a, an elder retreat. And, and I just, I want you to know that there's five elders here at the church, and three of them are not paid, and all of them work extremely hard uh, because they love Jesus and because they love you. You may not even know this because we're not good at sharing, but every person who's a member at our church, we have lists of our members, and each of us guys have one, and every week we're calling your name out before the Lord. We're praying for you. We're praying for your family. Uh, these guys are working hard. They're involved. And, and the reason I'm telling you this is because I'm starting to feel bad they work so hard. Especially the guys that, that we don't pay. Uh, I mean, they are killing it right now. Uh, we got building stuff and banking stuff and website stuff and just mission-driven you know, general organization stuff. And these guys are constantly on phone calls, constantly in meetings, working with uh, other churches. They're doing so much right now. Uh, and I just, I love them. And, and the reason you feel loved and supported uh, and I hope you do feel loved and supported here. If you don't, come talk to us. We'll figure out what that looks like. But uh, I feel loved and I feel supported by our guys. And uh, I just, next time you're sitting in church and you're just, 
You're thinking, you know, man, I just love my church. Go find Ben Cooper and hug him. Find Scott Mackin and hug him. Find uh, Daniel Purnell and hug him because uh, they're, they're making this place way better by the power of God's spirit, right? They're making this place way better uh, than it should be. And of course, me and Jeremy, we're on staff, but give us a hug too because <laughs> uh, we're working hard as well. And, uh, but God is good and I want you to be encouraged. I want you to know. I want you to know people are working for you. They're, 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 they're doing it for Jesus, but, but they're also doing it for you. Uh, and, uh, and last week, because I didn't have to preach, I got to go to uh, Pastor Nick and uh, the Kennesaw Gun Club Church for the, their fourth service over there. I went to the 9 o'clock service over there, and they were still finishing up Vision Series. And uh, so they were on Legacy Peace. We're all starting Zachariah today in Cartersville and, uh, and in Kennesaw here. Uh, but, man, that church just felt you're part of that thing, whether you're here or there or wherever. You're part of this, this thing where we're taking uh, God's people and we're raising them up and we're sending them out and they're planting more churches and, and we're believing more people are going to hear the gospel and more people are going to get saved and more people are going to be baptized because if you've ever been in Kennesaw, you know there are a lot of people who don't love Jesus there. That's why we sent them over there. Uh, but man, just sitting in that and they do, some, they do stuff different. You know, Nick, Nick's different than me. They are this high liter. They go through the Apostles' Creed. They, I mean, they're just doing all kinds of reciting stuff. But it was it was awesome and it was cool. And any chance you get to to jump over, you can still come to the eleven o'clock service here. Any chance you get to go over there, uh, I think you'd be super encouraged by what God is doing through them. And Pastor Nick preached the fire out of Romans chapter fourteen for our legacy piece. I was so blessed that I left blessed and then I came here to our 11 o'clock and Scotty Valiani who just so you know he's 20 years younger than I am 20 years right Scotty you in here you're you're 29 right you'll be the big 30s coming I I got a big one coming too next year oh Back to Zachariah. <laughs> I tell you what, I feel like I'm 50 this morning. But Scotty, I mean, we, we just got through with legacy, right? We've got young men in this church who, when called upon, can throw out some gospel. Amen? Uh, I will never look at Psalm 3 quite the same way ever again. And Scotty, thank you for that, man. I appreciate you. Appreciate your work. Amen. And he's already got young guys that he's pumped that are 10 years younger than him, that he's teaching how to preach the gospel and giving opportunities and students to, to preach the gospel. We've got some just great young men in the church. And just praise the name of the Lord, amen? We're not just going to do this thing and talk about it. God is, God is at work through his people right now, raising us up, using us in all kinds of different ways, and blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, in blowing all the sunshine on so many people, I did come across a verse that I want to share with you this morning. Because we also have to, we also have to stay humble, don't we? 
because as Martin Luther wrote his famous Sacristi prayer before every sermon he preached. And just if you don't know anything about Martin Luther, this is one of the leading theologians of the great Reformation revival period. But he always prayed this prayer, Lord God, please don't leave me, for if you were to leave me, I will wreck it all. Right? And we, we all have to remember, unless the Lord builds the house, all who labor, labor in vain. And, and as I was studying the Lord of hosts, I came upon this verse in Jeremiah, and it's just a, it's, it's two verses above some Lord of the Host stuff, and I was doing all my etymology work and trying to figure out Lord of Hosts, where does it come from, what does it mean, right, so I could serve you uh, this morning. But when I saw this verse, I knew, I was like, i got to share this with four points tomorrow. I've never seen a verse like this. Uh, it's, it's so awesome. Let's put it up on the board. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 14. Every man is stupid. And without knowledge. And all the ladies said, mm-hmm. God's word is true. <laughs> I, this is, and, and some of you, I'm showing this to you because some of you are smart. Some of you have Etsy pages. This needs to be our verse. I, I want it on hats. I want it on shirts. I want it on coffee mugs. Because we just always need the reminder. Every, don't, don't. Don't think so highly of yourself or too seriously about yourself. For every man is stupid and without knowledge. And God's word is true. Now, ladies, I didn't want to leave you out. So I found another verse I want to share with you. It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. And the King James Version, and we're ESV here, it's just a little easier English translation for, for, for most of us. But the King James Version really gets this one right. It is better to live in the desert than with a nagging wife. <laughs> Think about that for a second. It's better to live in the desert where everything is dead. <laughs> all right, so now that we're all humble, let's get to Zechariah. I feel like I need to pray again. So here's what I need you to understand, right? We talk, there's been this thing going around on social media about guys thinking about Rome, right? And, and, and a lot of people in our families, a lot of our kids are surprised when they ask us, uh, do you think about Rome? How often do you think about Rome? I told Abby, she asked me, I was like, I think about Rome maybe five times a week. She was like, really? Why? Right? Because we like to think about these world Incredible, great empires. Rome conquered the entire world. They conquered the Persians. They conquered Egypt. These other great places, uh, Athens, all the Greeks, they conquered the whole known world. And, and when something is that big and when something is, is that great, how, how do the wheels fall off? That's why we think about Rome. We think about Rome, about how, did, how did it break down? And when you read about Rome, you understand that before Goths and Visigoths and invaders from the north, they were already broken from within. Their, their political senate, their, their politicians ruined this world empire before any invading armies uh, came into. And, and this is what we find with all great civilizations. Same thing happened with Egypt. The same thing happened with the Persian Mede Empire. Uh, same thing happened with the Greeks. The same thing happened... In Israel, 
I need you to understand, we, we always talk about Egypt and we talk about Rome, but I need you to understand that there was a day in the 10th century, a couple hundred years there, there was, a t- there was a golden age of Israel where everything was awesome, everything was big, everything was great, more wealth, more power. Other nations, in fact, Egypt was coming uh, to Israel for trading deals and, and, and for help because Israel had it going on. It was, it was a great civilization that was breathed out by God. Understand this. And when you think about it, go all the way back to the beginning. Well, not all the way back. We'll skip Adam and Eve and the flood and Tower of Babel. But when we think of Genesis you know, 15 through 17... God begins this great civilization with one guy who's not, right, there is no God's people. There are people that God had used and people who God had saved through Noah and things like that. But there was no Israel at the time. There was no church at the time. And God just taps this one guy, Abram, a Chaldean. And he tells him, leave everything that has to do with your father and just start walking. And when I stop, when I tell you to stop, just stop. Think about Abraham and his son Isaac and his son Jacob. Three major religions in the world today still bring their lineage from this one guy. Abraham is known throughout the world because this book is not make-believe. It's not myth. It's history. Abraham was a real man who really lived. And everyone around the world knows about him. The Jews celebrate him. The Muslims celebrate him. And Christians celebrate this man who who heard God speak and obeyed God's voice. And truly, like like the stars of the sky, your your children are going to be. Christianity is the largest faith system in the world. Right? And then you got Muslims and, and Jews too, all thinking about Abraham. All, I mean, this, is, this is great historical power in the minds of, of so many civilizations throughout our world. That's God's influence. Of course, when we know the story, Jacob has his 12 sons and one of them's Joseph and he ends up in Egypt. And, and we won't belabor that point because we just preached uh, the, the whole life of Joseph a couple weeks ago. But this is how God brings his people to where he positions them, where they can grow into a great number. 70 people in Jacob's family when he comes to Egypt and is saved from the famine. Uh, by the time Moses comes and says, let my people go, millions There are millions of of Jewish people that God now takes through Moses to a land that he has given him. A land that is filled with milk and honey. It's a good place where he's going to allow his people to grow and, and build a civilization supposedly based off of God's word. And that's where things break down a little bit. But when they do get through the the conquest and through Joshua and all the judges period, they're they're repenting of sin and God's blessing them. They're growing and they want a king. So Saul was a train wreck, but along comes David, right? And for all you guys, Vikings, Ragnar Lothbrook, right? All these guys that we think about, some of you sci-fi, maybe you're thinking about Neo or whatever. David's the guy. 
David, as a young man, a teenager, is killing lions and killing bears in the field. Right? David was this just monster, warrior, poet, king. And he, God makes him king. And all of Israel's enemies at the time are defeated under the kingship of David. Every one of their enemies, all the people who hated them being there, didn't want them there, still don't want them there today. We're going to talk about some places uh, in Zechariah that don't want them there. Which is modern day Iraq and modern day Iran, which those nations don't want them there either. But this is where God has put them. And David, God anointed him to defeat all the enemies of God's people, which ushered in this time of peace and prosperity that his son Solomon got to rule in. And David wanted to do a lot more. He defeated all the enemies. He brought peace to the land. But he wanted to do a lot more. God told him, nope, it's not for you to do. I got somebody else. I'm going to use your son to do that. Your hands are just a little too bloody. But David put all the resources together. So as soon as Solomon became king, he was able just to get to work and get to work Solomon did. Man, if we had time this morning and we don't, we would read Ecclesiastes chapter 2 because there's this list of just all the things that Solomon did. As soon as he was king, man, he was building gardens. He was building parks. Did you know everywhere Solomon went, he had dancers, right, dancers. It was like a constant carnival everywhere he went. Everybody was just happy during the reign of Solomon. He built the temple of God for all to see that God's presence does dwell with his people. I mean, he got to do that and build all this stuff. And if you don't remember your history, you might forget that kings and queens were coming for miles Away, hundreds of miles away. They were traveling for months just to see the splendor of Solomon. I mean, Israel in this time, I mean, it, right, again, Egypt's coming asking for help, right? Egypt was a great civilization, but Israel in the 10th century, the 1000s, the 900s, it was bigger than anything going on in the world. And it was God's people, God working in and among his people. But what happens? To great civilizations. Put up our verse again, Jeremiah 10. All men are stupid and have no knowledge. Solomon's son Rehoboam comes to power because Solomon is just like all the, every other father that's ever lived, right? Our eyes grow dark and we pass on from this world into eternity. For God has set eternity in the heart of man. That's why if you've ever been to a funeral with a little kid, they always ask the question, where are they, you know, when they see the body in the casket, they always ask, where are they now? Because they know that death is not the end. God's put eternity in the heart of man. Solomon dies. Rehoboam comes to power. And Rehoboam's young. And all of Solomon's wise, aged, gray-headed advisors sit down with Rehoboam. And they say, listen, we want to help you out. Israel loved your dad. How many of you know, when, when people are, when a leader is loved, it's hard to follow that leader. Uh, so they're trying to help Rehoboam. And, and what they say to him is, everybody love, loves your dad. But we have been building a lot of stuff. And we haven't stopped through his entire rule. 
It would be nice for you to earn the heart, to earn the favor of of the people. Why don't we take a couple years and just take a break from all these massive building projects? Let's, Let's quiet down. Just let the people begin to learn to love you, and then we can start the projects up some more. And, and because Rehoboam is so wise in his young age, he listens to all these wonderful men who are trying to help him. Put up our verse again so you guys can be with me. Every man is stupid. No, he gets his buddies, all the buddies he's grown up with, and he gets them in a room and he makes them his, his new council of advisors and he's like what do you guys think I should do what what, what should we do first here's here's their advice what do you guys think and they told him what they think and so Rehoboam comes back out to all the aged advisors and he tells them exactly what all his young buddies told him to say he looked at them and he said if you think my dad worked you hard my little finger is going to work you harder than he ever did just a it's a real piece of work, Rehoboam, right? Well, obviously, this doesn't go over well, right? It falls from within for it ever falls from outside. And in this golden age, there's a split. The kingdom splits. Ten tribes go with a military leader named Jeroboam. Ten of the twelve tribes of Israel move north and become the northern kingdom, and they still called themselves Israel. Ten of the twelve tribes, only two stayed in the southern kingdom where Jerusalem and the temple was. And, of course, the Levites are involved in the temple. They would never leave the temple. But Judah and Benjamin stayed. So ten tribes goes north. And you know what the Bible says happens? God tried to speak to them. God sent prophets. One of the things that's going to help you in the Old Testament so much, if you like to study the Old Testament, is knowing which prophets are going where. Because some of them aren't even going to the people of God anywhere. Some of them are heading to Nineveh, like Jonah. But some, Micah and Amos and right, these guys, uh, they were going to the northern kingdom. God sent prophets to the northern kingdom telling them, repent of your sin. Don't be stupid. Have some knowledge. Obey God's word. Repent of sin. And God said, if you don't, I'm going to bring in a foreign power and they're going to crush you. And there's no rebuilding for the northern kingdom. Every king the northern kingdom had, and there's a list of them. They were around for a couple hundred years. Every king in the northern kingdom did wicked in the eyes of the Lord. All the prophets were sent, please repent. Please turn your hearts back to the Lord. Not one good king. So in 722, as God prophesied beforehand, he brings in Assyria. And Assyria wipes out the northern kingdom never to return. There is exile for the northern kingdom, but there is no homecoming for the ten tribes. That's why we call them the ten lost tribes of Israel still today. They never returned to the land. They were scattered. But they're still the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom had kings too, and most of them were bad. But there was a few righteous kings, kings like Josiah, who wanted to return the hearts of the people uh, to the Father, right? And he tore down all the places of idol worship. He was a young king. He became king at eight years old, but he was a good king. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And because of a couple good kings, God preserved the southern kingdom for a little while longer. But eventually, we get to 586 B.C. This is, right, this is 500 years before Jesus is born. 
And God finally has enough with the southern kingdom because the, the kings, they're just wicked, 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 wicked. They're doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. So God also previously had prophesied back in Isaiah that he was going to raise up Babylon. And Babylon was going uh, to come in and, and take the people into exile. The southern kingdom was going to be destroyed. But 150 years before, he also prophesied, but I'm going to bring you back to the land. Right? You've done wicked. You deserve exile. But don't worry. In seven years, I'm going to use a man named Cyrus to bring you back. And let's look at um, Isaiah 44 really quick. This is 150 years before Cyrus was born. This is before Persia is in power. God prophesies this. You've got to love God's word. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he shall fulfill all my purpose. Saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built and of the temple your foundation shall be laid. When Babylon comes in, they burn everything to the ground. There's nothing left and the people are scattered and guys like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you know Dan, Meshach uh, and Abednego? That's not even their Hebrew names. They all, they all got their names changed when they were taken as servants to serve the Babylonians. But God does exactly what he says. He raises up Cyrus and he raises up Persia and he sends them over and they conquer Babylon. And so Cyrus does. Look at Ezra chapter 1 and 2. Chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. This is so awesome. Again, 150 years of prophecy before Cyrus is even born. And sure enough, just like he says, good Lord, I have not found, I know it's in here somewhere. It shouldn't be that far back. Could you put it on the board for me? All right. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. And here's what he says. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, Yahweh God shows up and tells this Persian king exactly what to do for his people. He has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. So what Cyrus does is he starts sending God's people back so they can start rebuilding Israel and rebuilding the temple. Is that not awesome? And here's, the, here's the, another cool thing. We even have secular documents. We have Persian documents. It's called the Cyrus Cylinder. It's cuneiform. And let's think about this. Persia's writing in cuneiform. Egypt's still ch chopping horses and putting pictures of weird eagles and stuff, word pictures. The Hebrew people have a language. They're writing books. I'm telling you, the golden age of Israel was something. But on this Cyrus cuneiform cylinder, it actually talks about how Cyrus... Uh, conquered Babylon and began to send the peoples back to their homelands to reestablish their religious practices. Man, God's word is true. It's always true. It's always going to be true. I know Jesus is coming back because the Bible says it just like he has it 
come back yet, but he's going to, just like Cyrus wasn't even born 150 years before that prophecy, and along comes Cyrus, and he does exactly what God tells him to do. That's awesome. Trust your Bibles, amen? So God's people are back. We're almost there. God's people are back in Israel. The prophet Haggai had just uh, preached a few sermons, so they're getting the temple built, rebuild the house of the Lord. That study guide's called Rebuilding the Ruins. So the work had started. Israel's coming back, but, it's, but there's a shadow over everything. Right, the walls are still down. They're, they're being invaded by raiders. Uh, the neighboring cities didn't want them back in that land. They were bribed. They were sending word to, to Persian kings about how bad they're doing, and they're against him. They were bribing against Israel to try to get the work to stop. I mean, everything was just going wrong. The work was so hard. And what made it worse is that as things they started to see come back, there were still old men who remembered the glory of Solomon's temple. There were still those who remembered the good old days. You know what the context of Zechariah is? You know the context. If you've ever heard somebody say or if you yourself said, man, I miss the glory days. I miss the good old days. How many of you high school ball players? No, none? Okay. Liars. Every man is stupid. Put it up there. <laughs> right? We miss when things were really good. So that's happening here. They're back in the city. Rebuilding is going along. But things just aren't like they thought. It's not as, it doesn't seem to be as good. They were all excited. Lists, man, there's in, in Nehemiah and in Ezra, there are lists of thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are bringing all their wealth uh, back to Israel to rebuild. There was excitement. But they got there and the work was hard and it didn't even look like it was going to be that great when they were finished there. They're in that halfway process in Zechariah. And their hearts, they just become delusioned. They, bec they fall into despair because it just doesn't look like what they expected it to look like. And then enters Ezra, uh, Zechariah. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, who was a Mede king who took over uh, sometime after um, uh, Cyrus, we read about Darius in the book of Daniel. Daniel served under Darius. We know exactly when this is. There's a time stamp here. And the Jewish months are kind of weird, but this is October, November of 520 B.C. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Eda. We know a little bit. These names are mentioned in a couple genealogies of the people who are coming back uh, to work in Israel and to rebuild the temple. We know this is a priestly family. They, they, they had experience working in the temple. Edo was there when the temple was built. Uh, he served as a prophet under Solomon and uh, under Rehoboam and under Abijah. Right? So this is a... This is 
a family that God has been using in, in ministry service for a while. So he brings them back. They needed all that. They wanted all that ministry service back because the plan was to rebuild the temple. So here they are, five, 520. Again, just about 500 years before Jesus comes. This great civilization was getting rebuilt, but their hearts were in despair because it didn't seem like it was going to be as good as it used to have been. And the Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore, say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And the first thing we want to talk about is this title, right, this name. And God has a lot of names in the Bible. And God uses different names for himself, not to confuse his people, but, but to show, to, to reveal different characteristics of, of his nature and of his plan and, and what he's doing. I mean, he's called the Rose of Sharon, the Lily of the Valley, the Bright and Morning Star, uh, the Balm of Gilead. He's got a lot of names, right? Wonderful Counselor, Son of Man, Mighty God, Holy One, Emmanuel. He's got lots of names. But anytime you see a name and you're not familiar with it, you need to get into it because this one's important. This one is going to be used 53 times in the book of Zechariah alone. We read it four times already, This about five times already this morning. It's three times just in verse 3. God wants his people to know something about himself. And what does he want them to know? All power, glory, majesty, and every living thing under heaven and, and all eternity belong to me and I am Lord over. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6 really quick. Or just put it on the board for me. This is one of the first places Lord a host is used. And, and it's in this vision God gives Isaiah where he sees spiritual beings, not even human, but spiritual beings with six wings called seraphim. Just so you know, if you ever run into an angelic being, God created a race of angelic beings. Some of them became demons when they followed Lucifer, who was an angel who tried to overthrow God. Jesus said it wasn't even a contest. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Some of them are still in the heavens. And the, the book of Hebrews tells us that God sends them out to do his bidding and to do his work. But here's one thing. If you ever ran into an angelic being, it would not be some cute little fat baby. It would be a terrifying, frightening experience. Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Where is the Lord? He's on his throne. What does it mean? He is in power and sovereign authority over all things. The only throne in eternity is the one that he sits on. There are no lesser thrones. Actually, you go to Revelation, there's 12 thrones on each side, one for the 12 tribes of Israel, one, we believe, for the 12 disciples. That's Revelation. You go there, woo but we get to sit around him, but there's one big throne with all authority, and it belongs to the Lord himself. He is high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Verse 2, above him stood the seraphim. These are angelic beings with six wings. With two, they cover their face because they're in the presence of God. And even angelic beings are like, I, I need to be shielded from your holiness. 
Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. These are terrifying creatures. And one called to another and said, and this is what they're doing. As they're flying around, the Lord who's sitting on his throne, as they're shielding himself. See, you always hear me tell you, every man is stupid, right? But we think a little highly of ourselves sometimes, don't we? Because we look at our neighbor and we're like, my grass is way better than his, right? And we, you know, I let him borrow ladders all the time. He's never let me borrow. Right? So when we compare ourselves to someone else, we, we might get an inflated ego that we're, we're pretty good people. But when someone who thinks they're a pretty good person stands before true perfection, you hear me say this all the time, that's when you realize how wicked you are and how desperately you need someone to save you from yourself. These angelic beings in God's presence can't, they say nothing else. They just keep saying over and over and over again, holy, 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 right. Have a bigger understanding of who God is. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth and everything in the earth is full of his glory, right? At one time, Jeremiah uses the Lord of hosts uh, to, to share with the people that there is no salvation without the Lord of hosts. It's got to come from him or it's not coming. Let's finish Isaiah because I want you to see what Isaiah says because Isaiah is a prophet. He's the man of God. He's the guy God has been giving visions to and, and giving sermons to. And when Isaiah sees this scene of God's holiness, the foundations, the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Isaiah, woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. This is the imagery for the Lord of hosts who controls all things on earth and in eternity as well. This is what we would say if we stood before him without Jesus Christ, his blood covering our sin. This would be our terrifying experience. We would look at the holiness of God and we would say, undone, I'm lost. Back to Zechariah. Right? Are you ready for some good news? Therefore say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me. What is God communicating? He's communicating, you're thinking too much about the place you've returned to. Don't think so much about returning to a place. God himself says, I want you to return to me. And then the Lord of hosts says, of course you're going to be discouraged when you see just the, the temple bare and unfinished. Of course you're going to be discouraged when you watch the raiders coming across stealing your cattle because your city doesn't have any walls. Of course you're going to be discouraged when you look at your houses and how uh, they don't shine like they did in the golden age. Of course you're going to be discouraged when you're looking around you at all the things. But instead of looking at all the things, look to me. God says, return to me. Now, 10, 15 years ago, there was a debate within the church. One of my first 
little debate schisms that I was involved in. Right, because there was this thing, and again, where do schisms usually come from? It comes from somebody who is, every man is stupid, somebody's doing something dumb. Right, and the prosperity gospel and all that stuff was going on, and, and churches were just getting a little too comfy with, uh, Jesus is my friend, I have a friend in Jesus. Right, we were losing some of the Lord of hosts, God and Savior, and just talking about friends and silly things, and you know the prosperity guys, everything's all smiley, smiley, but they don't ever say anything good. Nobody knows who I'm talking about there? Joel Osteen, that's who I'm talking about. That guy is an encourager, but he should not be a pastor because he doesn't stick to the word. Well, I'm just going to have fun these last four minutes, okay? <laughs> Everybody, you know, Jesus was a pal. Jesus was our chum. And the pendulum swing is people started, they stopped using words that talk about personal relationship with God. In fact, there were even books written that were anti, you shouldn't use the phrase, Jesus wants a personal, just keep it to born again, and don't use personal relationship. Personal relationship isn't in the Bible. Put, put, that, put that slide up one more time. Every man is stupid. And without knowledge. Hear the word of the Lord today for you. What Jesus wanted in his Old Testament people is the same thing he wants. To, he has always wanted personal relationship with you. From the garden in Eden, God is coming down and walking with Adam and Eve. You hear the heart of God right here. You hear God saying, return to me. I want you. I, I want to be in relationship. I want to be your God. Return to me. I, you're, you're in sin. I can't, I can't walk in the cool of the day with you. I'm holy. I'm the Lord of hosts. But if you return to me, I'll return to you. What, what does that look like? It looks like repentance. God, we've not been doing what you say. And our, our golden age has, has come to nothing. And we have nothing and we're so discouraged. God says, but I've got a way out. Return to me and I will return to you. This is the great hope we have. Christian men, Christian women in this room this morning. Right? If you just feel like, as Hebrews says, sometimes we just, we kind of drift. The Bible says that happens. It happens in our human relationships. Sometimes we just begin to drift away from certain people, certain personalities. Before you know it, you just, you've forgotten all about them. That happens in Christian life. But here's the good news. God always wants you back in his arms. And all you have to do is invoke the name of Jesus and his cross and his life and his burial and his death and his resurrection. Jesus, I can, I can return to the Lord because my sins are atoned for. The debt for my sin has been paid in full. It was paid right there on the cross. You can return to the Lord. You don't have to stay in exile. You don't have to stay in the despair of knowing you're not in the right place. 
Through Jesus Christ, all access to the Lord of hosts is ours. Christian men, Christian women, be encouraged. You may not have meant to walk as far away from the Lord as you have, but you can always get back so quickly. And if you're in this room today and you've never known the Lord, His invitation is for you as well. Life has a way of just kicking out our teeth all the time. But there is a God who loves you. There is a God who created you. And there's a God who made every crooked way straight for you to be able to get back to him. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Return to me and I will return to you this is our Bible. This is God's message to us. I hope you take it. And we're going to have a lot of fun in Zechariah as we return to the Lord and he returns to us. Amen.